Welcome to another episode of Stay Paid. I'm Joshua Syke along with Luke Acri. And our guest today is not only an incredible person, an incredible author, but also had a lot to teach Luke and I today. Yes, seriously. This <laughs> this episode, I mean, all of our episodes are selfish when we interview, you know, these top producers and rock stars, but this one particularly is near and dear to our hearts because we're both fathers of uh, growing girls. Yeah. And, and our- we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> With uh, with our girls or with this intro, yeah. either we don't know what we're doing in business, <laughs> life, raising our kids. It's a disaster here, ladies and gentlemen. On the show today, we'll bring her on in just a second. But we have a an author, like I mentioned, Doctor uh, Porges. She wrote the book "What Girls Need: How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women." So you've got to tune into this uh, episode, whether you are male, female, parent. Child, it doesn't really principles matter because it's all, yeah, it's all of the leadership principles and these skill sets that we can not only develop, but also empower in those women in our lives to make great leaders of the future. But before we bring on Dr. Porges, first, I just wanted to encourage everyone to take a survey uh, for the podcast. So if you go to staypaidpodcast.com slash survey, seven quick questions, super easy to answer. We just want to learn a little bit more about you, learn uh, what you like about the show and maybe some other topics and guests that you would like to, us to have. Have on the show. So that's staypaidpodcast.com slash survey. We would also love it if you subscribe, if you're not already on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, make sure to drop us a review. So I have some more reviews to read at the beginning of the show. Now let's get into this week's episode. From Reminder Media, this is Stay Paid, a sales and marketing podcast on a mission to help you close more deals and retain more business. Hosted by the VP of Marketing, Josh Stake, and Reminder Media's president, Luke Akery. So get ready to hear the golden nuggets that will allow you to live a life of freedom tomorrow, but only if you take action today. Our guest today is Marissa Porges, PhD. She's the author of What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women, and is the eighth head of school at the Baldwin School, 130-year-old all-girls school outside of Philadelphia, renowned for academic excellence and for preparing girls to be leaders and change makers. Dr. Porges served in the Obama White House and the U.S. Navy as one of the eight female aviators in an air wing of about 200. Dr. Porges, awesome. welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. It is awesome to have you. I have to fill the audience in. So um, Marissa and I are part of a business group together. You guys have heard me on the podcast before mention, you know, the value of like getting a mentor, getting a peer group that you can mastermind with. And Marissa and I are part of a group together that's called YPO. That um, we're in this business kind of group, but it's also, you know, goes into personal self-development, all that stuff. And I've been getting to know Marissa. It's phenomenal. I'm so excited about this interview because here's why. Everybody also knows, not only obviously am I super into business and and self-development, but I just had my first little girl. You did. Little girl named Evelyn. And I myself am so curious about this topic. You've written Terrified about. Yeah, terrified. (laughs) About this, you know, how how to do a good job, how to make sure I do a good job, which is going to be really hard. But really this idea of how do I raise a strong and courageous uh, woman? How do I not only for my own daughter, but I'm also a leader within our company. Josh and I lead a company of about 300 employees. How do we do that in our own company? But would love for you, Marissa, to just take a little bit of time. You've had such a crazy career from a fighter pilot to now head of the Baldwin School. You've written this book. Can you walk us through the 30,000 foot view of your journey, what led you up to today and really why you wanted to write this book? 
Yeah. Um, well, I love hearing that uh, you guys are here both as parents with your girls in mind, but also the young women in your and women at any age and any stage of their career in your departments, in your company, you know, for those listening, like any woman in your life, any girl at any stage, like we need to think differently about how we're helping girls, women, peers, because frankly, the world hasn't changed that much. And there's still things that we need differently than some of our male peers. So that's the starting point, but it's a lesson that frankly, I learned over time, right? That first time I shot myself off a carrier for the Navy, like I wasn't thinking about, I was a girl and I was with all guys. No, not at all. Of course I'm there to, you know, just like all everyone listening, I'm, I'm there to, to reach for my golden ring and get it right. Mm. Um, but over time, as I navigated moments of like negotiating my next salary or my job title or making transitions or sitting around the table when I was working in the White House and sitting across from or two seats down rather from the president, the leader of the free world mm. and realizing after the fact that I'd spent the entire hour of my meeting with President Obama, my first time sitting across from the Oval Office talking about my issue, I didn't say a single word. But here I am like a confident woman. I've got it. I'm, I'm at that point in my career where I can own, you know, what it is I do. And I left the meeting and realized, oh, my goodness, I let all the guys in the room answer the questions, ask the questions, make interesting points. And it kind of dawned on me that throughout our lives, I think we need to nurture those essential skills that it takes to be successful, to thrive, to lead and to be our best selves. And that very candidly, I learned as, as a woman, I need slightly different things than my male peers. Uh, and when I came to Baldwin, so I, I grew up in the Philadelphia area for those who are maybe in the region. Um, and I went to the school I now run. So for anyone who thinks it's crazy to become your high school principal, I am living that very <laughs> um, But when I came back here and I started teaching classes to the girls, as well as running, you know, sort of the overall picture and my overall senior team, I started teaching a leadership seminar to my seniors, the, mm. the girls who are about headed to college and the stories I was telling from my time in the military, in the White House or just leading a big organization. Um, and then the lessons that I learned over time, it was so helpful for them to hear from a you know, another woman, someone who's at a different stage in their career. And I realized I wanted to share that story with other people as well. Um, and that's where the book came in. And so I'm, I'm pleased to have had my book that came out last year being relaunched this August. Uh, I mean, I guess think just, just now this week um, in paperback and it tells all the stories and all the research about what girls and women need to be their best selves. And it's hopefully something you both can take back for the women in your lives. That's awesome. What an amazing story. So talk about those, because you mentioned this idea of having innate skills, right? Which to me, so innate skills are skills that you're kind of born with, right? They're in, they're in you. Um, so often we look at like what other people can do and think, oh, I need to develop the skills that they have to be that way. Uh, what are some of those innate skills that you've seen that, that, uh, women have and how can we kind of help the young girls? Cause I have a 12 year old, right? So she's right at that. <laughs> she's at that age where, man, I feel where like you don't know what to I do. don't, no, I, I can't do anything right, <laughs> right now, but at least I can hopefully learn from you and maybe offer some guidance there. What are some of those skills that women should be embracing? Young girls should be embracing that, that will give them a competitive advantage. 
Yeah. Well, so I'm going to share one that comes from both personal experience and research. And it's this idea of how we as people problem solve in teams. Mm. Now, mm. this is something that I, you know, have had a lot of work doing in like various environments, but particularly in the Navy, right? That's someplace where, you know, the job of an aviator, the job, uh, you know, uh, when you're flying jets for the military, there's a lot of, interestingly enough, like it's, minute by minute problem solving, how you're getting where you're going, how you're navigating in difficult environments, flying at night, refueling, you know, yes, there's weapons involved, things like that. Um, and, you know, one of the stories I share in my book, uh, which at the time I didn't realize how unique it was. And it wasn't until years later when I reflected back on, to your point, Josh, what skills were sort of particular to me as a woman amidst a, you know, a, a squadron of mostly men, mm. how I worked and collaborated with those around me and solve problems in slightly different ways, you know, and it all came together when I was in a mid-air um, refueling moment. So we were, you know, halfway across the Pacific, um, a night mission um, where we had to refuel mid-air, something that, you know, is standard for Navy aviator, aviators. So we're pulling up to the tanker in the middle of the ocean, no land in sight with our night vision goggles on. So we couldn't have seen anything anyway. And suddenly it's not working. So we're literally watching the fuel tick down, realizing we have no place to go. If we do not get fuel, we like that is it right. There's actually an emergency procedure in the handbook that when it says like if there's a problem with refueling, the last step in the book says eject. Wow. Like the worst thing you could imagine doing when you're in the middle of an ocean inject. That's not what you're supposed to do. But that was like go through all the steps. And if worse comes to worse, save yourself. But of course, that's not what you're going to do. You're you know, you're there to, to figure it out. And it turns out that that night in the plane, one of uh, the plane I flew, there was three, sometimes four aviators strapped into ejection seats together. And one of um, we had our pilot. And then with me was a fellow aviator named Kate, one of mm -hmm. the other few other women in the squadron and few other women in the air wing. And what unfolded over the next hour was a slightly different way that we went about solving the problem. We communicated differently with each other. We talked differently within the, in the cockpit with those outside the cockpit or helping us. We went about figuring out, was there a divert air, airfield? How do we get back to the aircraft carrier? What do we do next? It just played out differently. Now, I won't give you the end story. I mean, I'm here to tell the story so you know a little bit, but the rest of the story is in the book. But the point is, upon reflection, we learn as, as girls, as women, we're socialized in different ways early on to collaborate, to find middle ground, to figure out what works for everyone and, and to figure out a way forward that feels good. Um, and that's just very different than a lot of how boys are raised. A lot of it is social norms. A lot of it is you know, customs and cultures and sort of where we're growing up these days. But it's something that is incredibly empowering. Now, I turn and I'm going to do a little bit of research. We won't go too much into the research, but it's actually borne out by research that shows that teenage girls are across the world, you know, innately more, um, excuse me, innately better at working through problems in teams. Mm. A study was put out by the uh, Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development, long title to say they're a group that studies um, how education is looking around the world every couple of years. And they did a study uh, four years ago now where they assessed 125,000 15-year-old students in 52 countries around the world wow. on how wow. they problem solved in teams. So not a problem that you could do on your own, a math problem, but something you had to collaborate with. And on average, girls outperform boys by at least 30 points. And they were 1.6 times more effective at being able to work through things together. 
So here we have something that I can say, yeah, I think I do it differently. Something that research actually shows when you normalize for, you know, what the school is like, what the country is like, you know, economic, you know, opportunity. And you say, actually, girls are just good at this because we relate to each other differently. And that's something for those who are listening. I'd say, yeah, this is a superpower. This is something that every workplace needs right now. Mm-hmm. It is how we solve for pandemics. It's how we solve for, you know, sales. It's how we solve for growing our businesses. It's how we solve for developing our teams. And so that is one of the places, Josh, where I think we should start talking to our girls from an early age instead of just saying when they come home, hey, how'd you do in science class? It was like, hey, I hear you, you had a project you were working with a friend on. How'd that go? What was it like when you were working together? Hey, like. What happened when it didn't go so well? Random little ways to reinforce the idea that it's not just about the outcome. It's about how we work together along the way um, can be really, really impactful to help girls realize that, no, they're good at this. I was going to, yeah, yeah, no, I was going to, I'm glad you went there. Cause I was going to ask you like, how do you, like, what words do you say? How do you empower that type of innate skill set? So it's more in the, in the encouraging walking through the process of how they problem solved or how they collaborated almost gives them the confidence that, Hey, this is normal. This is good. This was a great thing to do, which translates later in life. I'm assuming it's kind of where it's going. We talk about the things we value, right? We bring them up in conversation, you know, here at school, we actually build it into our program. You know, we're very conscious about building in, not just, you know, uh, individual projects, but we do a lot of work to say, nope, this project's going to be a team of two. This one's going to be in teams of four, right? We, we force the girls to practice it. Now, everyone doesn't have the good fortune of being in an all girls environment, um, but it's something we can do with our teams. It's something we can do with our girls, figure out ways to help people work together who might not normally develop systems where like that's typical and what they have to do, um, or just reinforce with the girls in our lives that, yeah, it's not just, you know, let's talk about what it's like to work with other people because you're really good at it. And mm-hmm. that particularly for the dads listening. And so I have two dads with me. <laughs> they, the girls hear you, right? They may not, they may roll their eyes or walk away, but they're listening. And the little stuff makes a very big difference down the line. I want to jump that. ahead and sorry, Luke, I don't know. You're good. I yeah. want This idea of helping young girls find their voice of becoming self-advocates. This is probably the one that's closest to me because I do have a 12 year old. She's very shy. She is extremely quiet. But she does have a lot of confidence. Like she's she's very self-confident in in who she is and everything. But trying to find out how to bring that out of her so that later in life, and I'm gonna, I'll say right, like I was incredibly shy as a kid. I grew up very shy. Even in business, I'm always the quiet one. Yes. Still to this day in the room. Now I force myself to get out of that show. I'm, I'm loud. That's well, probably because I'm loud. <laughs> but what what are some of those things that we can do to help them become their own self advocates or help them find their voice? Yeah, thank you for bringing that up, Josh. Because unlike problem solving or the ability to empathize and a couple other key skills, being able to confidently raise your voice is actually something that research shows um, is not. Uh, the norm for many women. Hmm. Uh, It's socially reinforced, even in a day where we have a female vice president and we see more and more women out there in front of the camera and in various places. By and large, a lot of women, particularly when they're around a table of, of, you know, a mixed gender, you know, with their boss who might be male or with sort of powerful male figures, 
it sometimes gets hard. That's where that moment with me across from the Oval Office comes in. Here is someone who, like your daughter, thought of themselves as super confident, had reached one of the pinnacles of my career. And I get there and, you know, I don't say a word, not what we want to happen to any of the women in our lives. So, but this is where I sort of think of it about as like the little things make a big difference. And it's about building the muscle memory that makes you not, you know, have to think too hard, but just fall back on, yep, I have a muscle for raising my voice. I know how to do that. And I don't have to think about it. It just sort of you know, something that's developed over time. So what does that look like? And you can do it at any age, but what does it look like for a young girl? From, you know, starting from elementary age or preteen when they're in, in maybe junior high, you know, start finding small ways and moments to help them practice. Could be around the dining room table, a really easy, safe place. You know, the next time you're talking about what movie to go out to or, you know, what you want to do as a family for a trip, make sure your daughter has a voice in the conversation build her space, particularly Josh, because I think you have a boy too, if I remember, right? Yes. <laughs> and so this is where- Oh, she's got no them. problem making her voice okay. heard. <laughs> well, that's good, but that's good. Enforce that. And then the next time you're out at a restaurant, so start building it outside of the home. Have your daughter order food for the entire family. Oh, oh that's that. great. Yeah. Right? Find a moment in a way. Have her the next time you're at an amusement park now that we're getting back there or at a museum. But don't, I need directions. Have your daughter be the one who's representing herself to adults in mm. safe spaces, places that we know that she's going to be okay. And over time, you start building out in high school when there's a problem with a teacher or a coach, coach her through, help her practice, and then send her out to do it. Her coaches, her advisors, her teachers want her to practice that. That's a very good way to practice, sort of build that muscle memory. And then this is the key for women listening who are, you know, out in your career moments and thinking, ah, sometimes that happens to me too. Happens, you know, even me, I, I, when I came here as head of school, CEO equivalent of, you know, a, a medium sized organization, and I was going to other meetings, mostly with male heads of school. That's even in education, what you see. And I realized after a couple of meetings that I was like, why am I not saying anything? And I play a trick on myself. I play a game. If I'm in a meeting, I'm, I have to say two things in the hour. I love that. But, you That's know, like so kind of because like, it's just about the practice. We all know that, you know, men, you, I'll say honest, you guys have no problem talking up, but sometimes I'm like, <laughs> yeah, like what they don't know me yet. I'm junior. I'm new. I don't know. I, I make it a game. And so for women out there, figure out what it takes to help you practice at whatever stage of your career it is. And for the leaders in the room, figure out moments around the table to build those moment, build those times in. So you pull the voices forward. Again, these are ways that you can develop that muscle memory throughout a woman's life from girlhood on up um, so that it becomes easy, Josh, wherever your daughter goes or wherever Evie is next, um, you know, She'll, she won't get to that Oval Office and, and be, you know, sort of shy or introverted. That's so good. There's I'm, so many golden nuggets that you can. No, I, I just well, I love the idea of practice because here's what I've done in the past. I've had my daughter order food in restaurants and she's so shy and it's so painful. I feel so bad mm. because I see how how, you know, whether embarrassed or how shy she is. And so then I just I stop. But the idea mm. of actually practicing outside of that um, experience is a great tip. So mm. I love that. One of the golden nuggets I uh, pulled out of what you're saying is just that even as a leader, like stepping back, I've been experiencing this in my own journey here lately is I found for our senior leadership team, I would get in these meetings and, and I felt like no one was talking. <laughs> 
And then I finally, I had the epiphany. I feel ashamed of it. I finally had the epiphany. Yeah, it's because you're talking the whole time. Meaning it's because you're the one not listening. That golden nugget of you saying as a leader, make sure you're pulling back and giving that space for people to have their voice and be able. And then, you know, almost in a way like um, prodding them to pull out of them. I think in the Advantage book by Patrick, I'm going to butcher his last name, Patrick Leasoni or Leachoni. Lencioni? Lencioni, maybe. Third time's a charm. But he talks about mining for those things as as a great leader. So I think that's a great golden nugget. I want to jump back to this um, talk about empathy. And in your book, you have a chapter that says, like, make empathy her natural advantage. And um, you talk about how like empathy is one of the most critical skill sets of, of a leader. And it reminded me of when I was looking at this, reminded me like Gary Vaynerchuk, who's a, a huge guru in the space of marketing, talks about in marketing business. Actually, he talks about how he believes the number one skill set is empathy. Can you talk a little bit of why you see empathy as such a critical skill set and also something that is an advantage that I should bring out of my daughter? Relationships are the key to success. Right now, everyone in your database knows three to five people who need what you sell. So how do you get those valuable referrals? By connecting consistently and meaningfully. American Lifestyle Magazine is a high-quality, 48-page publication branded to you and full of amazing content your recipients will love. It helps you stay connected with your clients and sphere, keeping you top of mind for referrals. Want to see how it works? Get your free sample of American Lifestyle Magazine at ReminderMedia.com slash StayPaidSample. That's ReminderMedia.com slash StayPaidSample. Thank you for going right there, Luke, because this is something that um, I've really become passionate about and think we don't talk about enough, right? The idea is, you know, we think of empathy, which is the idea, ability to take somebody else's perspective into account and make decisions with them in mind. So it's a twist on the golden rule. It's not do unto others as you would have done unto yourself. It's do unto others as they want done, right? Interesting here. So now we think about that and you're like, well, okay, sounds like a soft skill. Sounds like something that's nice to have that you want in a partner and a life in your family, but does it help in business? So here's where it's interesting to see that over the past 10, 15 years, um, there's been a lot of research and a lot of in you know, practical ways and moments that businesses have realized this is an incredible advantage when it comes to understanding your clients, when it comes to understanding your competition, when it comes to delivering the best product that you need to be, you know, drive profit margins, be, you know, the increase your market share, be the biggest success. It's why a couple of years ago, they actually added the skill of empathy into, get this, the U.S. Army Manual for Leadership Training for hmm. Soldiers. It is actually a core huh? skill that the Army sort of speaks to. And when I was interviewing for my book, a, a mentor of mine um, who was a general who served in Iraq, H.R. McMaster, sort of a preeminent thought leader in the military world, he would say empathy is what made the biggest difference in Iraq. It's how you understood both your people and in this context, the enemy to understand how to navigate in a way that sort of made you a success. We turn that to the world of, you know, profits and market share and the things that many of your, you know, the folks listening right now are might be thinking about, you know, when you are fully able to take your clients into account, understand what they want, and then whether you're tweaking your, your media effort or your outreach effort or how you're making a sale with that in mind, 
it's incredibly powerful. And so it's why a lot of companies from Ford Motor Company to Warby Parker on down have started actually training, hiring for slash and training new employees and how to be more empathetic. I'll give one example here. Ford Motor Company has their young engineers don what they call an empathy belly when they start working. Now, for again, for the women listening, an empathy (laughs) belly is a, a jacket you put on that has a belly that mimics what it's like to be a third trimester pregnant woman. And then they wrap your chest in Velcro to mimic what it's like to have your chest compressed by all that weight. Luke, what your wife was going through until very recently. And then they have their engineers get in and out of Ford cars to experience what it's like to be a woman. And having been there recently myself, getting in and out of cars is super uncomfortable in that Mm. those last few Mm. weeks. It's hard to do. And here they're able to design their products better, like refine what they're doing because they understand what their customer is going through. So this is where empathy becomes one of the biggest advantages that we can recruit for, train for, and build in our leaders and going back to the point of a lot of my work, it's it's something that comes naturally to our girls because of how we're trained, how we're raised, how we're socialized early on to communicate, to, you know, think of our friends and those around us. Yep. So this is where for the women listening, this is your power. This is your advantage and use it in every moment you got. Oh man, I love that. It's so interesting. I've always said, I've never thought about it through the lens of how you just kind of eloquently said it from the empathy perspective. But one of the things I've always said with marketing is I always go like my my truth always has been to try to be an effective marketer is just go, well, let, put myself in the shoes of the person that's actually receiving the marketing. Like, it's just like most people when they market, right? And they try to go out to the world. It's all me, 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 me. They're like spreading there and they never go, well, what does the person actually on the other end feel when they receive this. And so how it plays into business, I think is so, so powerful. One of the other skills, and cause I want to make sure we get through, there's so much to get to that I want to pick your brain on. But one of the other skills you talked about was adaptability. And you really saw adaptability as the greatest skill to succeed and greatest advantage that you can give your kids. Yeah. And can you speak a little bit into that of one is like, how do you see adaptability? And then how do I teach that? Or how would you go about teaching that to kids? Well, I think we've all, you know, I, I will say I wrote the book pre-pandemic, but now I feel like, wow, who knew, right? We've all had to adapt in so many ways this past year that of course adaptability is key, right? But it's more than just like, you know, how we relate to the pandemic. Right. It's how we relate to so many changes that are going on every single day. Right. And and adaptability is about not just responding to difficulty, but responding to change that could be good. So it could be moving to a new job. It could be, you know, a shift in your family relationship, having a child. You have to adapt what your life looks like, how you balance work and other things. Adapting could be something as simple as switching teams at work or a new app, a new piece of technology, a new way to use social media to get your message out, right? That all takes adapting. And the reality is the way the workforce is moving and the way the future work is looking, we need to adapt faster and faster than ever before. And that's going to, that is why I argue for the next generation, our kids, you know, alongside empathy and problem solving and all these other ideas, the ability to respond to these fast paced changes is so critical. You know, for me, I, I 
you know, again, something that in retrospect, I'd been working on throughout my life. It was a fact that, you know, I've done a lot of career pivots in my time. I'm not sure exactly uh, how that all happened. I think my parents were probably worried every time I came home and said career shift. And yet, you know, over time, I became comfortable with newness with relating to different sorts of people, with communicating across boundaries, with, you know, figuring out a path forward amidst high moments of uncertainty. These are all core elements of, you know, emotional adaptability and flexible thinking. And, you know, the, the psychological, psychological makeup that comes with being resilient, right. That sort of allows you to be person, you know, persevere. And it's also something that, you know, I think we can really be teaching um, our, our girls from an early age and we can talk to what that looks like, but I will say that in part the, my rationale for needing to talk about it and teach it to girls is because not just as a key skill and you all want them to thrive wherever they go, but many of our girls will one day become women who become moms. And for all those women listening, I appreciate that for the dads on, for Josh, for you, Luke, you know, yeah, it, you have to adapt when you have a child. But having recently had my first child, or I guess he's a toddler now, so it's been a little bit of time, but there has been no bigger moment in my life that has demanded adaptability mm. than becoming a mother. And I, after navigating a lot of changes, I thought, I got this. Okay, that's true. But it required a very fundamental shift in how I approach the world and life that I truly think is unique to not maybe all, but most women when they go through these transitions that are unique to being um, a mother. So I just throw that out there because I don't think it's something we honestly talk about, but is part of my conversation with the girls at my school. No, I mean, I just literally, I mean, obviously, uh, Evelyn was born about six months ago, and I have just been amazed at the life transition and the life shift, obviously, because you don't know what you don't know, but going mm -hmm. through it myself and then watching like Megan, my wife's whole life shift and what you're talking about, the adaptability and the, even for myself, right? I think of myself and the changes that have happened in my scheduling and the changes that have happened in my sleep habits and the changes. And here's the thing that strikes out to me in this is that we as humans, right? We fear change. And then also we always live in a mindset of like the old, like you want it to be like it was, or you want like, or the grass is always greener on the other side. It's like, you can't live in the moment and you, you don't adapt to that yeah. moment. So the skill set of adaptability, I can see even for myself right now, because I just went through, obviously a huge change myself. And so did Megan, how do though, how would I then kind of share with Evelyn do you let her fail? Is that what it is? And you let her understands the pains of, Hey, this is how, this is what happens in life. Do, so like uh, translated to employees, right? Cause a lot of people are listening to this, like how much of it do you step in? How much of it do you let the adapting naturally take place based upon the lessons that life is teaching you? What would be your advice there? I think it's a little bit of each. So part of it is going back to the, like being comfortable with discomfort right? Being comfortable with failure, realizing that most failure is not like the big capital F failure sort. It's the little failure that happens. And, and okay, so that's part of it. But I think sometimes it's about building those moments into normal, you know, the everyday so that we get used to it, right? So I'll give an example for kids and I'll give an example for teams, right? For kids, there are many ways we can help our, our girls or our boys, because this is important for boys too, practice dealing with new environments, dealing with uncertainty, dealing with that, that discomfortable feeling that comes with having to adapt. 
right? The next time you're choosing what soccer team your child will join or what after school program she's, you know, she or he is going to be part of, you know, resist the temptation to say, why don't we go to the one where all your friends are going, right? Or choosing, you know, trying to get that teacher, you know, because she had your daughter before, you know, why don't you try? It's a safe spot. It's a safe way to say, hey, let's try the one where there's new people. It's fine because they're going to be great. That's what those places are. They're ways that when we're young, we test ourselves. One of the girls I interviewed for the book, a dear friend of um, uh, the daughter of a dear friend, describes she learned to adapt by going to summer camp. It wasn't really on her thing. She more she liked ballet. She liked this. She liked that. But her parents made her go to an outdoorsy summer camp. And she can speak to the moments when she had to figure out how to make friends in a new way, how to deal with things that she was finding discomfortable, you know, canoeing and being outside and living in tents. And then the reason why this all came out was because I asked, well, how did you transition so well to a new middle school? You moved, you know, from one state to the other at the last minute. You had to join a new middle school, all these new people. And she said, well, I, you know, I dealt with that uncomfortable feeling before. I knew how to navigate new groups. I figured it out. We can do the same thing with our teams. We can do the same things with the groups we manage. Right, the next time we're doing a retreat or having a moment where you're sort of trying something new, break up the people who work together and force them with different folks. You know, do a, you know everyone pick a color and that's who you're working with today. Or if you're the one in charge, actually put them together because you know who typically works together and who is more uncomfortable. You know, sort of crossing boundaries. Figure out ways and times where we can help people manage discomfort. It helps later on when we all have to do it in life. That's part of the modern world. So that's just one way. The book has lots of other examples, but that's sort of one idea where you can use at any stage of life. I love it. I love yeah. the little gleam in your eye when you said, make them work with yeah. people they don't want to work with. <laughs> so what are some of the other skills that we should be teaching our kids today for this future workforce? We talked about empathy. We talked about uh, adaptability. We talked about collaboration. What are some of the other skills? Yeah, well, one that I'm, you know, really keen, particularly for girls to learn is how to be persuasive and how to negotiate effectively, mm. you know, key in so many um, jobs, key in so many career tracks, particularly for those who are listening right now, you know, that that makes a huge difference in how successful you are. It's also something that, you know, by and large comes a little slower to, to girls. I shouldn't say slower, come slower. We're not taught it. But right. I'm someone who didn't learn to negotiate until later in life. And it wasn't until I had my first real job out of the military. And I was at then, that time working in the Pentagon. And I looked around and, and there was a moment where you suddenly realize what other people are making. And all of a sudden I realized, I was like, wait a minute, how, how in the world did this happen? And it, it turned out that I did not ask for mm. what I was owed. I did not realize that was part of the process. It is something that women are not taught. Statistically speaking, research shows women do not negotiate as effectively because we typically don't ask. Mm. We don't push that boundary to say, no, 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 I know what I'm owed. I know what I deserve. So it's something that I talk about in the book in terms of identifying it as a gap, as a challenge for many women and saying, all right, let's start talking about it and fixing it so that it doesn't happen to the women in our lives. Uh, I love that. Can you give kind of um, a piece of advice on that? Let's take the negotiating like salary or something, because that's super practical. And, you know, I think that applies for people like how do you go about having a hard conversation that, you know, how do you step out of that comfort zone? How do you approach it? Do you practice? What are the tangible steps that you would give advice on on that? Yeah. Well, this goes back to our earlier, you know, practice, practice, practice. You know, I think uh, negotiating is something that can and should be 
you know, practiced um, with other people before you walk into the room. Um, and it's about talking through, um, you know, what does it sound like? What does it feel like? What does that moment look like? Find someone in your life who you know is good at negotiating and say, all right, talk me through what that looks like from your end. And then I'm going to do it. I'm going to role play. Um, I actually role play moments with my team, not just on negotiating, but on persuading because mm. the two skills are very related, persuading other people to come to the table for what you need them to do is a little different than salary negotiations, but equally impactful. I often role play with my team to say, all right, like, let's play this out. What's going to go through their minds? What are they wondering? It's also about thinking out of the box about what the other person needs. Right. This is where for salary negotiations, it's not just about salary. It's about benefits. It's about maybe flexible work schedules. It's about a title that you may want that you're not getting. It could be about, you know, whether you could bring your dog to work. Sounds crazy, but it's actually something that is worth thinking about. Whatever it is that maybe you think would help make you, and this is another trick, make you the most successful employee, person, manager, leader, right? Because at the end of the day, if you're successful, the person on the other side of the table is successful. And that's where you get the best negotiating is when both people feel like they've had a positive outcome. So it's a few things to keep in mind about, you know, thinking out of the box, practicing and always keeping the other person in mind so that they have a positive outcome too. It sort of helps you be the most persuasive person you can be. Yeah, I love that. So good. And I would encourage people that what I have found over the years is that Confidence is a great thing. Like to confidently say what you're owed and confidently present your value. Actually, from an influence side, it it helps the person on the other end feel more confident to give you that value. So, you know, it's one of those things that I would just encourage you that it don't go into it feeling like, oh man, I'm gonna come across the wrong way. Come across with that confidence, but kind of laid out in this foundation of here's what it's also gonna benefit you. Uh, bring you to the table. So I got to ask you, because we ask every successful person on the show and you're super successful in your career. You know, Josh and I are big into self-development. So we're all about, hey, how do we improve and become the best version of ourselves? We kind of live by what we call the 1% rule is how do I just get 1% better every single day? Do you have any routines in your life that you have implemented um, that you look back on and go, wow, these routines have really paid off dividends for us? Yeah. So it's funny having had this percolating in the back of my head since listening to your podcast, I know it's out there, you know, the, the pre mother self would have said something like, you know, self-care and running and I don't know what, right. Doesn't happen right now, but that's okay. I'm instead going to, it's going to mention something that has become a routine of how I lead my teams. And part of one of the things that I've, uh, you know, as I've sort of grown you know, as a leader um, that has become a routine of mine. And my team would probably call me out on this and they know it happens. I start every meeting with just a couple minutes of pure chatter, not related to work, typically related to something that happened over the weekend, something that they're reading. What's your favorite new thing on Netflix? Whatever it is that gets people to help, you know, let their shoulders fall down, connect with each other on a different level, sort of just relax into whatever it is we're talking about, even if it's not a highly stressful meeting, meeting or moment, but just to remember that we are all human beings who need to connect. And when you're connected, you perform your best because you feel most comfortable. Mm. So my routine now is that, that, you know, every meeting I have starts with a, just a moment that's like, Hey, 
you know, share something out with each other and like three minutes, four minutes at most. Um, and they all think it's funny because they know it's coming. And typically it's something to do with the, what, their, their weekend, their July 4th, their summer plans, whatever it is. But it is part of my routine now. And it makes me, uh, you know, I enjoy it too. So I think it's it's mutually beneficial for everyone. I love that. Actually, one of my mentors um, is uh, actually is my pastor, but he's also owns a um, architecture engineering firm. And one of the things that he taught me was very similar. It's like when you when you go to a board meeting or something like that is, for before you right away go into business and engage, engage a little bit in what's going on in people's lives because mm-hmm. of that idea of it, it gets that one, that just camaraderie and vulnerability and relaxes people. I love that. Such great advice. Dr. Porges, uh, knowing what you know now, last question, what would you go back and tell your younger self? Oh my goodness. This is probably one that uh, I think we should all tell our younger selves is like, don't sweat the small stuff, right? Mm. Don't, don't worry about it. It all works out. Having um, navigated a lot of career changes, a lot of highs and lows, a lot of moments where you're like, how does, you know, this feel, is this low? What is the high? Um, You know, I I now reflect back and say it all comes together. Right. Mm. So, you know, whether it was that moment when I, I realized I had to you know, leave the Navy and transition out and do something else, whether it's the moment I share in my book, um, where I, um, you know, where I failed to, you know, in a way that was really personal and really hard. Mm. Um, you know, all those moments, they all work out. Right. And, uh, and that's, you know, a fabulous thing to keep in mind. So for those listening, I know we all have our highs and lows, particularly these days, but I think it's just great thing to remember and to remind those in our lives. And we start saying it, regularly and sharing those moments with our, our girls in particular. Um, it's a powerful thing. Um, a lesson to keep, uh, for, for everything. I love so. that. Spoken like a true parent too. Don't sweat this. Well, after you have kids, it's like everything you worried about before children and being responsible for this living thing, like all of a sudden it was like, what was I worried about <laughs> <Yeah>. that for? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> all right, Marissa, please tell everyone, uh, how they can, f- uh, get your book and how they can connect with you. Well, thank you. You can pick up the book. Um, here's an, an hardcover out in paperback, um, just this week. And it is on Amazon at independent bookstores at, you know, online, wherever you pick up books, please pick it up. You can also find me on my website, um, whatgirlsneed.com. reach out lots of talk about there, but also good resources for parents, leaders on the website itself. Um, it's an important conversation and I appreciate you guys, um, having it with me today. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for thank coming you. on. We are going to include a link to that book on our website at staypaidpodcast.com. We'll have all of those links that Marissa mentioned as well. The book's name again is what girls need, how to raise bold, courageous and resilient women. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, as I mentioned, all the show notes will be over at staypaidpodcast.com. If you're looking for ways to support the show, there's only two ways we ask you to do it. We don't have a book to sell yet. So yeah. we're not selling any books yet. We're thinking about it. We've thought about it for We've like thought two about years. a book. Yeah. <laughs> Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop us a five-star review, uh, along with a comment to let you know what uh, let us know what you thought of this episode. And the best way to help out the show is to tell a friend, share this on your social media. If you want to get hold of me or Luke, you can email us at podcast at remindermedia.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram. We are at Stay Paid Podcast. For this episode of Stay Paid, I'm Joshua Stike. Guys, and I'm Luke Acree. Thank you guys so much for listening. Marissa, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. This is an incredible episode, specifically for me. I know it was for you guys too, and you got a ton of value out of it. But just me being a new father to a little girl and having this has been incredible to hear. And then also how it's challenged me in leadership. And my action item for you from this, besides going and getting the book, because you got to do that, 
that. But we always want to take the podcast and boil it down to an action item that you can implement in your business. And two action items that I have for you is one is, how are you implementing this empathy into your business right now? Because the more and more I'm looking at my life from a marketing standpoint, from a business standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, and I just looking and going, yeah, man, empathy is really what you need. Empathy is what I'm starting to look for more and more in leaders. That is the action item I would have you reflect on is, hey, make sure you're looking at that and, and thinking to yourself and realizing that's a superpower for you. That is a superpower for you in your business. And then the second is make sure that you are giving room at the table, that you're pulling back. If you have employees right now and you're listening to this, that you're pulling back, learn the lesson that I had to learn the hard way, that don't be the one that's just speaking. Give people room to speak at that table that they're at, whether it's your employees, your partners, right? And specifically the women in your life to empower them because you will be surprised what comes out if you stop speaking and let other people speak. Remember, the difference between a top producer and a mediocre producer in every single business is top producers take action. Take action on that today. 